Good morning. Bible reading this morning is Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Fruit of the Spirit, um, as enumerated by uh, St. Paul in his gospel, uh, his epistle to the Galatians. Uh, th- that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And so far uh, in the morning, we've heard about love and joy. But today, very appropriately, on Remembrance Sunday, we come to peace. And what a wonderful word that is. It um, Peace is a greeting, a wish, uh, and a blessing all rolled into one. Um, in some parts of the world, it's used like hello or good morning. It, 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 you know, we say, they say shalom or uh, salam aleikum. Um, in our churches, uh, we hear the words peace be with you. And uh, in this morning's reading that uh, Alistair just read to us, we hear that we, uh, since we have been justified by peace, uh, we have peace with God. Uh, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And this morning, I'd like us to think about what true peace really means. And I'd like to share the idea with you that the peace, we cannot have the peace of God until we have peace with God. But before we explore all that, let's just pray. God our Father, God of peace, once again we ask that you open our ears and our hearts so that we may receive whatever you have for us today. Help us to find that peace that only you can give that will carry us through the challenges that we face in our lives. We ask it in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. The Old Testament uh, word for peace is shalom, and the New Testament word is irene, uh, or irene. Some, some people pronounce it irini, from which we get the name uh, irene. Um, 
And Irani peace means so much more than merely the cessation of hostilities, the end of war. It has a whole range of blessings included in it, which include well-being and provision and justice. Um, many years ago, when I, when I was still at university, I invited a, a, a friend, a colleague, uh, to come with me to a Billy Graham mission in Earl's Court. And my friend professed himself to be an ardent agnostic, and he rejoiced in ridiculing uh, and making fun of religious people. Um, yet he was curious to hear what Billy Graham had to say, and so uh, along he came, and when we got to this packed arena, he looked genuinely interested in what was going on. And I had every hope that he would come to Jesus that night. But when Billy Graham issued his great invitation and hundreds of people poured forward for prayer, and my friend sat resolutely in his seat. Um, I didn't dare ask him why he hadn't gone forward, but he knew that the question was hanging up there in the air. And so as we got to the tube station, he said to me, you know, Louis, my life is very complicated. And, but I just don't see how Jesus could make any difference. And then he added with a, a mischievous uh, smile, uh, he said, um, whenever, if you can show me just three practical benefits for becoming a Christian, I might just consider it. Well, <laughs> this was a challenge that I was not prepared for. Uh, I was myself still a relatively new Christian with questions and doubts of my own. Nonetheless, I bravely said to him, oh, I can give you at least three reasons. In fact, I can give you more than three reasons. But it was late at night, and I agreed to meet him next day for lunch when I would bring him my list of reasons. Of course, I had no such list. And when I got home that night, and in fact, I'd never thought of my faith in terms of practical benefits. Uh, so when I got home that night, I, I prayed that God would show me three, just three benefits uh, for becoming a Christian. Um, well, before I turned off the light, God had given me not three, but six. And I can't exactly remember what I wrote on the list, but it looked something like this. Uh, finding peace with God. Finding the peace of God. Receiving guidance from God. Uh, attain, attaining or obtaining wisdom from God. Uh, drawing strength from God and being part of God's family. Now, I no, no longer recall exactly how that lunchtime conversation went, but I do remember that my friend did not have a, a great conversion experience, and that he asked me, well, he challenged each of my points. You will notice that the first two of those points start with the word peace, peace with God and the peace of God. Now, I must tell you that one of the very first things I learned when I was still a very young Christian is that I could not have the peace of God unless I first had peace with God. And although I, at the time, I'm sure I wouldn't have put it in exactly those words. Now, at this point, my agnostic friend uh, says, well, I can think of lots of ways uh, that we can find peace. I mean, think of the beauties of nature and meditation and yoga, to name just a few. You can't, you're not seriously telling me, are you, that uh, we can't find peace without God? Very good question. And as I searched for an answer, I 
remembered a, a wonderful quote, an amazing quote, from um, St. Augustine, one of the fathers of the church, Augustine of Hippo, fourth century theologian and bishop, and he wrote in his confessions, um, you made us for yourself, and our hearts remain restless until they find their rest in you. Now, if you look at that sentence, it's got four very important truths all wrapped up in those few words. First, God made us. Secondly, he made us for himself. The original uh, Latin reads, fecistinos atte, which means you made us towards yourself. It's as if God made us and didn't only create us, but he created us with a leaning towards him, uh, a natural attraction to him, like iron shavings might be attracted to a magnet, or sunflowers uh, might naturally turn to the sun. Augustine's third truth uh, is, is one that is objective, subjective. We, we all experience it. Um, human hearts are restless. Uh, we all know what restless hearts and minds are. In fact, we often call it stress. And I thought to myself, well, what can be more beneficial than having uh, a faith that helps you to deal with stress? And Augustine's fourth point uh, which uh, is that we will never be free of that stress, of that restless mind, those restless hearts, until we find our peace with God. Now, why is that? Well, the Bible tells us that God loves us and that he made us, created us to share in his work of creation, both by being creative ourselves and also by looking after what he has created. And the Bible tells us furthermore that he made us in his own image. That's an amazing statement. God made us in his own image and likeness. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but it must mean that there's some of God's own DNA in each of us. Here my agnostic friend, of course, comes back and he says, uh, well, if God's love and his attraction and his magnetism is so strong, uh, why, don't we, why haven't we all turned to God? It's a fantastic question, actually. Unfortunately, the answer is one that unbelievers just don't like to hear very much. It can be summed up in the word rebellion. Rebellion is knowing what God wants, but decidedly, willfully, repeatedly doing the exact opposite. Um, an example in the old, uh, for example, in the Old Testament, uh, we find again and again the command that God gives to his people to care for the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. Uh, in other words, look after vulnerable people. And repeatedly we see that the people, his people, do the exact opposite. They greedily pursue wealth and power, and they go on to abuse and exploit the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. So what exactly does God want from his people? Is it that complicated? Well, you may remember that in Matthew 22, a lawyer once tried to test Jesus by saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And without missing a beat, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets are wrapped up 
in these two commandments. Well, so easy, isn't it? Easy peasy. Sim two simple rules. You know, don't worship idols and love your neighbor as yourself. But you know from the very beginning, well, you know from the very beginning, we have failed on both counts. Idolatry is putting anything that is not God and making it our God. In today's world, that, that is um, worshipping wealth, worshipping power, acclaim, and things. Uh, we value those more than we value God, his kingdom, and his people. Idolatry means doing anything it takes to fulfill our own selfish desires. And history repeats and proves over and over again how the worship of money and power and things leads, leads directly to the neglect and the exploitation of others. God commands us to love people and use things, yet consistently we love things and use people. And this ongoing rebellion that we call sin um, has created a great gulf between us and God, a gulf that we cannot bridge in our own strength. The Bible teaches us that we have sinned and deserve to die in our sins, and no amount of good works and no amount of charitable giving can repair the damage caused through our idolatry and our selfishness. But my friend comes back to me, might come back to me and say, look, if God is so loving, surely he can just overlook our sins. You know, let it go. The answer is that God is not only loving, but that he is also just. And if you think about it, uh, God wouldn't be very loving if he just allowed endless, willful wrongdoing to go unpunished. So the bottom line is that we need outside help. We, cannot, we need someone to rescue us who cannot do for us. Uh, he can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Uh, and you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Um, God is not just just, he's also compassionate. He threw us a lifeline by sending his son into the world so that, as, as in the words of John 3.16, we would not perish in our sins but have eternal life. And Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross and took upon himself the punishment that was due to you and me. Jesus did it and continues to do it and continues to do that which we cannot do for ourselves. Once again, my agnostic friend is not going to leave it there. He says, well, look, we've all got baggage. We all have things that bad things we've done that cannot be undone. We've all said bad things that cannot be unsaid. You know, and surely there, there are resources out there in the world that can help us deal with guilt and shame and all that stuff. Well, again, I tried to look for an answer for him. Um, and I've come back to that question many times. As I look today for a contemporary example um, of what Jesus has done for us. I remember the story that I read uh, a while ago, not long ago actually, of a young woman, talented, gifted young woman, who was offered a very high-profile job, a position that would make her a public figure, a celebrity. However, this young woman was tortured 
by the thought that if she took the job, uh, she would arouse great public interest and curiosity, and sooner or later, someone would come and find uh, and bring to light a, a stupid thing that she has done, had done some years before. In a younger and crazier time in her life, she had anonymously posted uh, very compromising pictures of herself uh, on social media. And these had gone viral, and they were popping up all over the place. Um, and in the wrong hands, she thought, these would certainly destroy her life, not to mention her career. Now, this young woman and her husband, assisted by a very techie younger brother, spent hours and hours online trying to locate and, uh, and delete this incriminating, these incriminating images. But the more they searched for them, the more of them they found. And they had more or less given up all hope when they heard of a man in Palo Alto who claimed to have perfected a set of programs that can track and trace and permanently delete an individual's incriminating uh, internet postings. Well, they contacted the guy, and he was good to his word. He did just that. He, um, uh, he, he deleted, he managed to delete and to wipe the internet slate clean for this young lady. Now, the analogy is not perfect, is it? But it does give us a sense of what Jesus came into the world to do for us. He came to, to, to wipe our slates clean and to restore our friendship with the Father and to restore us to a place in his kingdom. And, and a place, and these things will not just mean that we, what Jesus did means that the past will never again catch up with us and destroy, our, take everything away that he has won for us. And this is what the church calls redemption. And all that's required of you and me is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that he has carried away our sins. And also acknowledging that uh, we are just hopeless at guiding our own destinies. And uh, we just need the wisdom of God and the guidance of his Holy Spirit. Now, what I've been talking about here is what the church calls justification by faith. And it's beautifully summed up in the, the passage that Alistair read to us this morning. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into, the, into this grace in which, in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What lovely words. But to take heart, justification by faith does not mean that we can never have doubts or questions or that we will never ever put a step wrong. Thanks to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we can be sure that God's forgiveness, of God's forgiveness again and again, as long as we genuinely seek to do his will and follow his ways. My agnostic friend might have asked, well, does all this mean that all these good deeds of yours, that all my good deeds are absolutely worthless? Well, not at all. What it does mean is that all the good that we do, that, and the good that pours out of us, the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and the self-control, all of that is not 
our ticket to heaven. It's not our ticket to God. It doesn't buy us our friendship with God, but it pours out of our relationship with him. Now, I've been going on about peace with God, but what about the peace of God? What does the peace of God actually mean? Well, it means having a trust in God. It means trusting our relationship with him. It means that we are true sons and daughters of of the living Father and the all-powerful God who has everything under his control. It's the peace of a small child uh, that uh, is resting in its parents' arms. I thought of this last week as I walked in Greenwich Park, and I, I saw this young dad with a baby strapped to his chest, and they were caught in a storm. They were caught in a, a huge downpour of rain. There was wind and rain. And, uh, they, but the little baby looked perfectly peaceful, nestling in her, uh, at her father's chest, uh, listening to his heartbeat. And I thought, well, in the storms of life that we face, so long as we're bound to God, we too can listen to the Father's heartbeat in the midst of everything we're going through. Uh, Much more dramatically, Victoria and I, my wife Victoria and I, have a friend called Bruce, and he leads a great international uh, Christian organization. Uh, in In his testimony, Bruce recalls how years ago, he was, he was on a plane that was hijacked by terrorists. All around him, people were screaming and pleading and, and, and weeping. Yet in the midst of all this pandemonium, uh, Bruce felt a strange a peace and an inner assurance that God was with him, that God was in control. And he says he experienced what in Philippians 4, 7, uh, Paul calls the peace of God which transcends all understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a peace that led Bruce to remain calm and to, be, to calm those around him and to survive that terrible ordeal that lasted 48 hours until all the passengers were safely uh, taken off that plane. In John 16, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, These things I've spoken to you that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But behold, I have overcome the world. And you and I will overcome the world uh, with him when we entrust our lives to the one who uh, made us, who holds us, and holds the whole of creation in his hands the one of whom the prophet Isaiah says he knows the end from the beginning. Again, in this morning's reading from Romans 5, uh, Paul tells us, rejoice in the hope and glory of God and rejoice in your sufferings. Well, personally, I don't rejoice in my sufferings. In fact, but then like most of us, I am still a work in progress. But what I do observe in my life is that suffering does bring out some good things in us, some positive qualities. And uh, Paul enumerates these as endurance, godly character, and hope. None of us knows how the present, when these present hardships that we're going through will end. But we do know that God never abandons those 
that trust in him. And although we may not rejoice in our sufferings, we can, as we await the the outcome of this present world crisis, experience the peace of God. And this morning, I encourage you to take a few moments to make a commitment or to renew your commitment to Jesus Christ, the one who made the sacrifice on the cross so that that enables us to have peace with God so that we can enjoy the peace of God that will carry us through all that we will face, inevitably face, over the next weeks and months. And I can think of no better way of ending uh, than with the words that that, um, Andrew started with earlier today, the words of Jesus in John 14, 27. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid.